As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. This is Court Psyops from the Cinema Psyops Podcast. Welcome to the Gangs of Hollywood Podcast. Hey gang, as always, I'm The Witch, and on this episode, it is my genuine pleasure to welcome my first returning guest, Duncan McLeish. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you very much for having me back on. Oh, look, you know, you, you, you sparked a small flame inside me when you were, when we talked about the untouchables and, and you, you sort of, you know, you, you hedged at a movie and we didn't say it on air. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about it afterwards and I went, Oh, yeah, we got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We have to because I've not watched this movie for a good number of years. And, uh, now that I've come back to it, I am very, very happy I did. And that movie is the 1980s Brit gangster epic, The Long Good Friday. And for those of you at home that haven't seen it, here's the trailer. London, Good Friday. Not just any Good Friday, but The Long Good Friday. Outside of church? You're not crucifying people outside of church, not on Good Friday. Harold Shand, undisputed king of London's underworld. Now he's setting up the biggest business deal of his career. Hands across the ocean, right? To the future. Someone is out to stop him. You think of anybody who might have an old score to settle us? Who's big enough to take you on? Someone, somewhere, knows. Right? I want the man who knows. Right. Who fancies what? Auto, casino, stabbing, a bar blowing up. What is this, a gang war? No, no question. Harold and I have no doubt that by tomorrow the problem will be settled. Walk to the car, Billy, or I'll blow your spine off. It's not a shooter, is it, Harold? Oh, don't be silly, Billy. When I come hunting for you with me fingers... I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption. One of my closest friends, he's lying out there in the freezer. And believe me, all of you, nobody goes home until I find out who done it. What should have been the greatest day of Harold's life suddenly becomes the longest. Suddenly, he's fighting for survival. You kidding? We got gang warners, right? We already have. Colin's been carved up and I've got a bomb in me casino and you say nothing unusual. The Long Good Friday. A terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The Long Good Friday. Alright. Well, first off, thank you for reminding me about this movie, mate, because I have not watched it in absolutely forever, and it had gone from my memory about how, I think grim is the right word (laughs) to describe this movie. It's just fucking grim. 
it's, it's London in the late 70s, early 80s, and London was not a nice place in the late 70s and early 80s. <laughs> so, oh, no. You know, this, really is, well. this is Thatcher's... Thatcher, this is Thatcher's England, and it's not great. No, um, no, it's not great. So, as mentioned, this is 1980s The Long Good Friday. It's got a runtime of one hour and fifty-four minutes. Um, although apparently, I, I, I did read a fact about them wanting to hack seventy-five minutes out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I went, really? No, everything about this just fits. Um, so, look for those of you that don't know, uh, Harold Bob Hoskins is a uh, a prosperous English gangster who's uh, about to close a lucrative uh, deal with uh, with the mafia uh, when bombs start basically showing up and inconveniencing people, mm-hmm. uh, people turning up dead while he's trying to obviously do a deal with the mob to uh, well essentially I suppose, what gentrify the Docklands is that what you you call it in yeah so he's current got, parlance so so yeah this is like a concept that comes up in tons of these British like gangster movies about this idea of the the, the good hearted gangster trying to well he's not necessarily good. Gangster, but uh, a, a gangster who is on the verge of going legit. So if he can just mm. close out this deal, which you know is gonna is gonna build, a, it's like essentially a casino and a waterfront development down at the what would now be like the Canary Wharf down in London, which is a very gentrified, very affluent area. So I'm not saying gangs were involved with it, but maybe Russian oligarchs. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a lot of people sitting in glass towers that got their money some questionable ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so in order to do this, he is he's he's created this kind of ten years with the the New Jersey Mafia um, <laughs> because let's not do the, the the New York Mafia the New Jersey Mafia and it's all it's based, we're, he's coming back from I mean the, the beauty of this movie is really all shit uh, all shot in one day um, so it's <laughs> like one of these long it's like Training Day, although we'll get to that in a minute because there's so many movies that have basically copied The Long Good Friday. It is un-fucking-believable, oh, yeah. right? It's one of these movies which it's only when you watch it specifically now that you actually can go back and say, all right, well, everyone's doing this. <laughs> Everyone is being yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on, hang on. Let me get the red string. <laughs> get goes there. It goes there. It is. It's, it's like a line right through. But yeah, basically, look, the movie starts with with a kind of a deal gone wrong and... Um, um, with some other people and we, it's not necessarily linked to what we're watching at first and our, our buddy Harold coming back from what you would imagine is a fairly good vacation uh, but he's come back on Good Friday uh, and you know he's, he's everything's coming up Harold like he's planning permissions going through um, the Americans arrived he's got all, all everything's going the way he wants and if he can just get through this day then everything is, you know, he's going to be set. His corporation, as he calls him, I love like British gangster like terms like the firm, the corporation. Yes, the firm. Yeah, all these, all these. I mean, it's, it's like it's like a play on the the, the Cray brothers, but um, yeah. So the corporation, they're going to go legit. Everything, everything should be okay. And then one of his best friends uh, and kind of compadres dies in a car bomb outside the church, and we are trying to hide it from the Americans who may get spooked, although you're thinking, <laughs> American Mafia? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, that was a bit I was there going, hang on a minute, like, these guys like practically invented this level of like business negotiation. It made me wonder, because anyway. like, obviously during the time period that we're set at, uh, that's when we're, <laughs> we're going to be using some terms that if you're not um, British acquainted or, 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 or familiar with the, the goings on in this country... Um, I, I might. Oh, it's where the the troubles in Ireland. You know. I, mean? I was just going to say, yeah, it's it's the troubles. I, I remember hearing that uh, as a young man. Such people a, talking about the troubles. It's such a dismissive term for like basically out and out war, uh, bombings, and all the rest. But mm. yeah, so the troubles. So it's all set in this time period, uh, and I, I think it was seen that. And the American mobs, you would shoot someone, you would stab someone, or they would just disappear, <laughs> like the old days. Yes. Concrete slippers. Um, and the in the UK, it was kind of the same. In Ireland, they would blow you the fuck up. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like, yeah they, they, they were much more flamboyant about it. Yeah, so I think yeah. the, I think the idea is that this might spook off the Americans, and that's essential. I mean, like that's essentially your setup. That's like the first what 10, 15 minutes of this movie. And then you have essentially an, uh, an hour and 20, hour and a half of trying to watch Harold get to the bottom of what's going on, try and find out what's going on within his organisation, try and keep the Americans sweet and realising that all the power that he thinks he actually has or respect that he has is all built on this idea that he can keep his you know, his trips in line. And if he can't do yeah. that, then what use is he to the police? What use is he to the mafia? Well, you like, it, it, there's a trickle down effect, which I think is, that's the bit that's, that, that makes this movie great because there isn't a, a huge, well, it gets there, but there isn't a huge amount of gangster death and shit like that. It's a lot of parties and him speaking to people and trying to get to the bottom of things. But it's this mm. idea of, you know, he's like, the police can only, the police contacts he's got can only keep things at bay for so long. The Americans will only keep interested for so long, um, you know, and and all this stuff. It has to have it sorted by the end of the day because if he doesn't, like there is no development, there is no legitimacy. Everything falls through. Mm. His power hold loses, you know. It's, it's, and Bob Hoskins, like, because I know you like to get into the nitty gritty with the plot, but Bob Hoskins, maybe his finest role. I think he's absolutely. Fucking incredible in this movie. And well, this is his breakout role. Like this yeah. is legitimately his his breakout role for for his career. And and it's sort of one of the things that I, I was going to tap into. So you know, Bob Hoskins. You know, forty years. He's had a forty year career. But what got me is the the breadth of what he's done. Mm-hmm. He's done everything from gangsters and you know being a driver for a call girl and like outright you know being a thug to doing Disney movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, you know, point to me, point me to anybody that's done that level of stretch and can do either end of it. You know, we talked about, you know, the the fact that De Palma called him, you know, when when he was trying to work out who was going to be Capone for the Untouchables and went, you know, you are the man that can can do all this stuff. You're the actor. You know, you're you're the, the call out. And it's just like he's in this movie in particular, he's he he's. Something that really got and it fucking free. There's there's a limited amount of dialogue in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not a verbose movie. Very, but Bob is so so passionate and so clear. You know, it's obvious that he's trying to 
be, I suppose, larger than life in front of the Americans and all everyone else. You know, he's he's all smiles and you know shoulder pats and I'll catch you later and everything yeah. else. And then when it gets gets to the gangster part, he's as fucking hard as all get out. Well, this is it. This is the idea of the the British gangsters. There's a reason that very much like how mafia kind of movies have. Kind of t- like when you watch, like, was that time period where everyone was watching things like Goodfellas or even The Sopranos, and you know, you start, you, mm. you kind of, you feel yourself weirdly sympathising with gangsters, which you shouldn't. Um, but well, there's an idea about that as well. The Cree, the Cree brothers, and like, who, I, once again, it's like a template for how you do British crime uh, dramas mm. or, or, or thrillers or whatnot. The idea of those guys where they were, like, or at least one of them, you know, was. Incredibly charming, incredibly funny, vicious beyond a fault. Like, and that could that could turn on a dime, and that's that's the genius of casting Bob Hoskins because he's he's there's something there's a twinkle in his eye and the way he smiles that he, you know he's not exactly what you would consider a leading man by stature or by build, but he commands the screen when it's on them. He is very funny, very witty. Um, but when he gets serious in the movie, you could you could fucking hear a rat piss on cotton. Is that you know what I mean? Is like you know what I mean? Is is that like hush? You like there's an intake of breath, and there's there's I mean you cast him alongside Helen Mirren as his wife. And this one, and you're like, oh. I mean, like, once again, Bob Hoskins could never pull a he- Helen Mirren. I think few, few guys Mirren. could now pull a Helen well, Mirren. no. I mean, but... Well, oh. See, so, Helen Mirren, so and, and again, so good. And, you know, you look, you look at Helen Mirren now, like, she's, you know, a, a green dame of, of, of theatre and film and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's still an amazing woman. And then, you know, you pull it back to this period where she's, you know, she's playing sexy and sultry and everything else. You know, there, you know, there's this, there's, um, Excalibur, where she oh, plays yes. Morgana, which is so hot. <laughs> um. <laughs> Is that the same year? I think that might be the same. Is it, if it's, if there's maybe one. Or it's eighty one. Yeah, it's like, it, it's because this was originally. I think this was originally seventy nine. Yeah, and then there was some issues around release and, and a whole bunch of stuff that came out in eighty. The troubles. Yeah, said, the yeah, troubles. The, the troubles <laughs> slowed it down. Yeah. So yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Excalibur was eighty one, but the year before she was Sasonia in Caligula of I, all uh, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut a story career, man. <laughs> I just and I, I'm there going, oh my god, and and again, like so hard, um, just <laughs> unbelievable, and, and just oh, and an amazing actress, you know, she she handles this, you know, she's not a bimbo, no. she's smart, she knows what's going on, you know, Bob just leaves her to handle the Americans, and just, yeah, and, just take care of it, yeah, that's and why fully got believes that are. she will do it, yeah, that's yeah. why they've got where they are, and there's something about her as well, where, and I love it when gangster movies like tap into this or the idea of behind every good. Movie, Man is a great woman. Um, mm. Like in a lot of respects, like when he's really troubled with things, she'll lean in some advice. You know, the, the, she is mm. the she is the cooler head that will prevail in this situation, um, and she will lean in with advice and you know, kind of give him the nudge and steer him in one direction or the other. Um, I mean, for for purposes that you know, 
on some level she wants to see him succeed but another one is this uh, distinct idea of preservation and what's good for business and she understands that probably better than anyone um yeah. talking about casting right <laughs> we need to get uh. we need to get this we need to get this out here how does pierce brosnan end up playing an irishman <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I don't know, and it's a very young Pierce Brosnan. Super young, like a very young Pierce. It's not even like he doesn't even get credited. It's just Irishman number one. Yes, doesn't have a name. So down in your shade, noy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's it's like you're like, what the fuck is going on here? It's so weird to see, and it's not as if. It's, it's a British-made movie. It's not as if we were struggling to get Irish actors. Like, I mean, no. they were just across God, the water. No. You know what I mean? I, I don't. No. Un- it's such a weird, weird pick. Um, he does have. I mean, he, he looks like even at that young age, he looks like what you would imagine someone's stereotypical drawn image of, like a like a like an IRA man would look like. So he has that kind of look. But when you have someone like that who is, for all intents purposes a terrorist um mm. who is like more attractive looking than your leading man <laughs> your gangster yeah. dude it's kind of like uh, what we're doing here like one of them one of them would go on and play james bond it's not my favorite james yes. bond but one of them would play no. james bond you know what i mean the other yes. one the other one would do like other things <laughs> a lot we would do a movie with a cartoon rabbit yes um, you know. yes and a hot hot <laughs> jessica rabbit oh, oh. Jessica Rabbit, so hot. Yeah. Um, not ash- not ashamed of that one. Not ashamed of it at all. You should never it's be ashamed creepy, of it. But so no. so in terms of this one, like when I was talking about like movies that have directly, like the one that always springs to mind that got all the accolades and all the Oscars and all the rest is Training Day because Training Day is yeah absolutely the same movie. It's basically the mm. same movie except corrupt cop. But mm. what, when you when you un kind of furl out the story here, all the moving parts we're talking about. It, it all stems down to a greedy deal made by one of Bob Hoskins' associates with the IRA, double crosses them to get some money. Um, so the IRA blame Harold, essentially, and they, hmm. they decide to get a bit of payback, which results in this explosion. And like Harold finds that there may be someone within his organisation uh, is, is kind of... Well, it's Jeff. It's fucking Jeff. It's Jeff. It's, always... it's fucking, fucking Jeff. Fucking Jeff. Uh, Jeff is. If Jeff was a woman, he'd be Karen. <laughs> he <All> would right. be. <laughs> nice. We've got a Karen reference. Um, but yeah, so it's like uh, Jeff. Jeff's involved with this. And I mean, I think what it's like this short-sighted, you know, we'll get some money and keep some money without understanding the, mm. the level of, of what he's going to do to fuck Harold over but what's what I love about the movie is that instead of Harold doing what you would see as being the sensible thing he kind of sets up and you think he's going to do the sensible thing which is listen I'll make amends I'll pay off the IRA and then my deal can continue going Harold doubles down on the kind of fucking the, the IRA oh. over which is like the worst fucking it's so short sighted which, which even at no point in time is that a sensible thing to do I know he wants to get through the day, right? I'll just get through this day. 
But long term strategy, you don't want to, you don't want to like permanently fuck off the people that have access to the bombs, especially in a building contract. No, <laughs> no, bad, bad. Yeah. And, and let, let's be honest, they, they, they're not sort of squeamish about who they'll blow up. Oh no, right. anyone, a, anyone. At no point in time. Yes, um, absolutely anyone. Yeah. Like, and that's <laughs> uh, they take credit for it as well. They're really good at taking credit for it. So yeah, you know they're, they're proud of their work, and well, why not? <laughs> so, like, so all, all that all that unfolds in such a way where, like, there's no way Harold can keep that, you know, under wraps. It, it can't be. Eventually, the Americans know no. about it, and the Americans are like, "See ya, wouldn't want to be ya." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're out. Yeah, yeah. that's right. We we don't deal with gangsters. We're out. Yeah, well, like the like two bit, and the thing as well is there's a early comment about. Um, there's a really early comment which I love between Harold and and Jeff, where Harold says that the Americans look at the you know kind of the UK setup, the London setup, oh, as a, a yeah, cock yeah, handed corner shop. Yeah, yeah they uh, love when the upper class talk down them. Yes, yes, and it's it's just like totally this idea of it's small potatoes in the UK for them. They're you know they 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 don't look at it as like a credible thing, and this is maybe a risk for them. And when things get a bit too noisy, it's not worth their time really. And like that kind of last altercation between Harold and the the uh, the American kind of gangster dude and his lawyer is the is the great reveal of exactly how. I mean, Harold sees himself as the big mover and shaker. He's the one that's going to bring yeah. this billion-dollar deal to to the the kind of London Docklands. But ultimately, the Americans just like you can't get your shit uh, your shit in order. You can't steer your own ship. You can't control your people. You can't do anything. This is everything we've kind of feared. You're kind of lower. You, you're not. You're not. You're not playing on the same level as us. Mm. Which, if anything. Is like a red rag to a bull with Bob Hoskins. <laughs> fucking Lizzie's the big oh. I love his and, so and, and the yeah, the abuse that he gives them straight <laughs> after that is so good. And it's just like it's like the the way that I think the British of a particular age, particularly around the eighties, exactly what they really thought about America in general. Oh, yeah. It's just like you're just a bunch of fucking wankers. Yeah. Um, you can <laughs> you can shut up, you can fucking shut up, and just bang, 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 and it's just like oh, so good, so yeah. good that 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 whole fucking tirade at the end is awesome. And of course, like once again, the the Americans are not wrong here. Like that's that's no. the, that's the beauty of the movie. Like the reason the Cosa Nostra, uh, the mafia, or whatever you want to call them, have existed for so long, as the, and what ultimately was their kind of undoing was they had a very, very, very strict code, and everyone obeyed the code. And like there is no code in the, the London mafia. It's why Jeff's decided to go out, kind of creating issues and going out on his own. It's it's why you know like. Harold like knows stuff to an extent with the police, but doesn't know everything with the police. It's mm. why you know Victoria is kind of or Helen Mirren in the movie is you know is kind of doing some things, but there's also a line of self-preservation there for herself. But you know it's why Harold flies off the the rails at the, the IRA and thinks that the quick fix solution is to fuck over them, kill them, take the money, and he's going to be fine uh, and get through mm. the rest. It's all that is. They're exactly right. Like the mafia are 
it's a long term strategy for them, you know, and they can they can see if it's issues right at the start, what's this gonna look six months like, you know, a year, two years, ten years into this deal? Um what? it's it's bringing too much heat and too much attention on them. So th- that's the you know, in the weird kind of scenario, this one, the Americans are right. <laughs> like, like oh. as much as that sticks in my craw to say, because um, it does, they're 100% right. Harold does, like, I am. I imagine that in the world that Harold has occupied to be a gangster, like an actual gangster, he's probably pretty good at it. When he yeah. tries to go, well, he, with... he would have had to have been. Yeah, right? he would have had to have been good at it to to at least got the foothold that he's got. Yeah. You know, he's got property. He's got you know, he's got obviously a large number of men working for him. You know, the, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. He's connected. You know, he, he's got a copper. He's got a whole. You know, he's got a councilman. Mm-hmm. He's obviously you know come up and he's got all the power. So from his perspective, he's a big dog. Yeah, but and, and the, you know, the American. I was going to say in the corporate in world, the scheme of it, he's not though. Yeah. That's the thing. See, when you try and go legit, no. you have you can't cut corners. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you've got to, you've got to, um, and, and it's really weird. Uh, look. Uh, and something that comes popping popping in my head. I just finished watching uh, a series called The Gangs of London. Um, oh which, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've stopped watching. I've heard it was pretty good though. It actually is really good, but there's some some very similar beats um in that, and it's more about the son taking over the father's business, and it's sort of like if you imagine that um Harold had been successful, mm-hmm. um and, and you know managed to get the business and build it up and was building buildings, but still probably dealing with gangsters of a different sort, um and then someone killed him, mm. and what would happen after that, and it's. You know, it, it talks about, you know, the, the long-term plans and, you know, there's, there's gangsters from, you know, from Russia and from Europe and everywhere else. And they're all sort of talking about, this is just bad for business. Killing people and explosions is all bad for business. Mm-hmm. We don't want this shit. We don't want to be involved in this shit. So you need to solve your problems. Um, we're going to go back to our office, uh, and, and check where the money is. <laughs> there's, a, there's another thing that I think works really really well and this this whole situation as well specifically and we've touched on it a few times is the idea of time frame i think movies Mm. that have um and i like it done in this way where you know if we don't get everything sorted by the end of today it's life or death but also like those movies that are kind of shot in like one night and it's all the shenanigans that can happen in one night uh, done in a different way so i when you think of the way that this is all done a movie like uh, go which is a great example Mm. which is not a gangster movie at all um and it's you know it follows i think it's three or four stories that are all intertwined in the in the one night but there is one of those stories involves a kind of like a drug deal situation mm. um, and once again liken it back to the Long Good Friday it's a case of if you do not do this and get this to this place at this time there will be you know a death or there will be you know there, there yeah. will be a wreck there will be consequences yeah. there, there will be serious consequences and, and I mean look you could even tie it back to something like Pulp Fiction yes very very similar yeah but, I like that aspect yeah. because there's a there's a in the case of those ones, I love movies where life just goes on at the end. And um, but I also like movies where there's a like a, a definite close of right. And even this mo- this movie, you know, I mean, it finishes with one of the most iconic endings in, in British oh. film history. But it's still very much a 
we kind of know what's going to happen. We don't need to see what's going to happen. And what mm. you're you're kind of left with is a character who has no other choice but to try and work out exactly what point things went south. Like exactly what point mm. or what thing he did as a guy who's generally measured and controlled all the way through. What was this? What was the move in, on the chessboard that set up the checkmate? And when did he make it? How early into the game did he make it? And mm. I, I love that aspect as well. I think. And that's before we even like because so much there's so much to talk about in the movie. Uh, but that's before we even talk about the fucking score to this movie is iconic AF. Like it's oh. so suits it. It has a seventies vibe and it works so really 80s. well. But then, then you you get the eighties synth that's in there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's eighty, it's seventies seventies gangster. It's seventies action all over it. And then there's all these sequences of really heavy synths, and particularly you know at right at that end sequence you were just talking about, which is you know essentially just Bob Hoskins sitting in the back of the car thinking. That's yeah. all he's doing, just thinking. And you can see the look on his face, and it cuts back to the Irishman. It goes back to Bob, and you just know he's there going, "Yeah, look, I'm fucked." Yeah. Um, but the question is, when did it happen? Why did it happen? What's going to happen next? But and you know the music over the top of that, and you're there just going, oh, "I feel so bad for this guy." Yeah. You know, it, it, it it's a it's so evocative. Um, as the same punch sort of pulls you into it. The thing I was going to say it has the yes. same punch to me as the end of Michael Mann's Heat, where you get that the camera pulls away oh. and you've got like the the synths of the Moby of all people, but you get the synths that <laughs> kick in, um, and you know that wide shot that pulls up, and there's a huge kind of there's it's difficult not to get caught up in this kind of crescendo of film music cinematography um story plot like like it all, it all culminates in that last shot it's what you've been sitting through the entire movie to get to is that last shot and it lands pitch perfect and you get that exactly here with this movie yeah and and I, this might sound really weird to someone from the UK, but it's a very British ending. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the reason I say that is is because um, uh, like English cinema in general is not afraid to do bleak. grim. Yes. Yeah. Bleak. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's not afraid for people to just fucking die. Mm-hmm. And and then go, yep, dead, walk away. Yeah. Um, and... On a tangent, like British sci-fi does it better than anybody else, mm-hmm. and it's just fucking—it's—it's it, it's, it's, you know it's scary and it's sad and it's fucking dark as all get out. You know, if this—I feel like if it was an American movie, you know, you would have got the you know, him jumping out of the car or doing something to you know. Oh, they would just—they would just—or they just kill him. That's that's what Training Day does. Yeah. Training Day doesn't or, give yeah, you. Or they the, would just yeah yeah they doesn't give True. you the you know the like it, it had Training Day. At the very end, had um, you know him walking down the street. Spoiler alert for Training Day, uh, and the cars, the cars kind of pulling up, and him making eye contact with someone that he knew, and then credits. You know, mm. I don't think it would have had nearly the same reaction as it did with the you know you know a a, a local police officer or you know a, a detective died mm. and the the you know like you could have even done that you could have cut there not shown it and then had the news report playing over the credits or something which is how they would mm. have done it in the UK <laughs> you know like, yeah that, that's exactly it. you probably would have heard a gunshot mm-hmm. and then heard the news report over the top of it and that would yeah. have been it yeah but in, yeah. in in America we need to, we need to see the bad guy die 
and the good mm. guy triumph. That is how it works in America. The the good guys always win. There is no grey. It is black or white. It is good guy or bad guy. And in UK cinema, oh, be, very much because of the climate over here, <laughs> just in general, there's a whole lot of grey. Um, this movie, <laughs> like you look at this movie, it's like the the, the kind of glamorous shots of boats travelling along the Thames. The Thames is horrible. It like it looks mm. it looks like dirty pond water. The sky's overcast, and they're talking about this great casino they're going to be building, which is going to attract all this business and all the rest. You're like, who wants to go there? You know what I mean? Yes. It's not glamorous. It's not nice. And um, but that's British. That that's Britain. That's London, and that's British cinema. It's, there is a, a whole lot of that kind of. Uh, it's not even ugliness, but it's kind of no. It's it's like it's a. Di- it's dirty. Yes. It's dirty. Um, and it, but it's not. Um, I suppose it's not it's not dirty for the sake of being dirty. It just is what it is, mm-hmm. and it's just like this is this is London. It's gritty and it's dark, and people fucking die. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just what happens. And if you don't like it, where well, you can fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you a question. Yes. Now, apparently, Barry Keith wrote a sequel to this. All right. Called Black Easter Monday. <laughs> oh, dear. And right. it was set 20 years after the events of, of this film. And apparently it was supposed to open with Harold uh, escaping from the IRA um, after the car was pulled over by the police. And then he retires to Jamaica um, and then attempts to return to the East End to find that it's been taken over by Yardies. And I had to look up what Yardies were. Oh, um, you clearly... Ja- they're Jamaica. Clearly have never Yardies. seen the movie, the Yardie that came out last year, um, which I didn't want to see it, It's on my list. It's on my list. I heard it was not bad because I think it's a is it Idris Elba directed it. I think yes, it's Idris Elba, and I love Idris Elba. He's so. fantastic. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I had I did have to look up what a yardie was, um, and just went and I read that and I thought about it and I and it was like. Oh, I don't think I want it. No. I don't think I wanted that sequel. No, I, I think there's probably I, a reason it was never made as well. You know, I mean, you'd like yes, like in, in book form, that's fine. You know, I'd like you know, and like uh, in script form, that's still probably fine. But in in movie form, like there's there is a reason that the the Long Good Friday is is up there. It's, I think it's is ranked as like it's top twenty British movie. You know, British made movies. Yeah, long time critically. yeah, yeah. Out of the top one hundred, I was voted a couple. Of Times. Yeah, and, like in the top top twenty, and th- there is a reason behind that. It's a perfect movie, you know. What I mean, it, it does everything that it needs to. It tells it, it weaves so much complexity in there, and it it really does show the the trials and tribulations of a deeply flawed character who you should not sympathise with, but it's really difficult because it's Bob Hoskins, and you just want to sympathise mm. with him. Um, it's that sort of I, like that idea. I mean, he did. Um, well, you had a great run of movies that you were talking about. Uh, the Arrow Video uh, Company in the UK put this movie out in 2K uh, way, way back in the day. And they actually joined at the time in a box set with Mona Lisa, which came out oh. mid-80s, which I also... 86, is it? Yeah. I, I absolutely adore that movie as well. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird in that going from like the top level crime lord what what you get is Bob Hoskins on the other level you 
get him as a kind of mm. a guy just coming out of prison who you know has done his time and all the rest comes back to work he's kind of lower level but kind of comes back to work in an organisation that genuinely doesn't really have any time for him <laughs> like, so he's given kind of no. low level stuff to do and it's a fucking great movie as well and it's him it's him he is the he is the key to both of those movies working I can't think of any other actor I would put in the the Long Good Friday from that time period that would be able to do what he does the way he does it and you know deliver the the the, the light the you know the dialogue that the act all all the stuff he does in that movie I think is you know it's, it's absolutely perfect he's one of the main reasons the movie has its longevity and is heralded that way and you know like it, it's, it's so difficult to think of because I, I think in nowadays we even with like British gangster movies that move much, you know much further beyond and whatnot I think there's at times there is a struggle with that where like if you look at here's a great example right because the, the, this guy has ripped off you know specifically The Long Good Friday a few times but if you look at someone like Guy Ritchie Guy Ritchie loves himself a little London gangster movie right oh does he want and look I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie I love him for it I I think he like when he sticks to that genre I enjoy the stuff he does right I I really 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 do even The Gentleman which by the way The Gentleman ends up with pretty much the same ending as this it's very true you know it's almost the same ending uh, except you've got Hugh Grant talking like Michael Caine for no reason at all and I kind of love that as well <laughs> kind of love that yes. uh, but like, so, like, but if you look at the way he does it the difference in this is that his leading men are a bit too attractive to be you know what I mean they would never like I would never write The Long Good Friday and have Jason Statham playing Harold you know like no no, you know? no I, I could honestly say I couldn't see yeah, well, even Hugh Grant, for that matter, or anyone. Yeah. Um, God, I, can't, the, I can't think of what his name is, but the, the guy from um, the King Arthur movie that he did. And oh, uh, Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Huggum can't couldn't see him in that like you know even if he was age appropriate yeah there's something particular about Bob Hoskins at that point in time look he's not an attractive man no but he's there's something that said that he could be fucking hard you know he's come up from the streets and everything else and it's it's weird I was talking to somebody about like this movie in particular just the other day and I was saying you know, I hadn't seen it for a while and I was really looking forward to watching it and he said to me he goes you know what he is he's like the British Harvey Keitel Yes, yeah, that's a gr- that right there is like that's perfect. <laughs> like, that's perfect. Or oh. even like like Dennis Hopper. There's that, that kind of small but really intense stature, like a guy who could beat mm. you to death with his own fists if he wanted to. Like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If, if you push him over the edge, he's just going to lose it, and he will just—he will just take you apart. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a bit with the, the joke. There's like one, I chose his temperament, and at the same time, one of the reasons, and it's a kind of throwaway line once again, right at the beginning. Where Jeff, our friend Jeff, uh, the cabin of this movie, as we've already established, uh, like Jeff is talking to Victoria, um, and she's talking about these twenty pounds. Now, twenty pounds back in this time period, a lot of money, right? Twenty pounds that she spent mm. on each plate 
and how Harold mm. like broke two or three of them just to show like the value. How delicate they were. Yeah, just how yeah. delicate. Like actually physically broke them. There's a scene in it when he gets the story about Eric, he shatters a glass in his hand. Like that, that you know, like you don't physically need to see him beat anyone. Those symbols enough are enough to show you this man is, you know, he's stocky, he's broad, he's powerful, and he has a horrible temperament. Uh, and that's Ooh. all you need. That's that's how you get to the top. Like sometimes it's not about brain, sometimes it's about being feared and brute force. Mm. Yeah, well, if you're going to be a gangster, you know, you got to be hard. And a British gangster has to be hard. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we were just talking about the, there was no one else that could have done it. Um, I actually read something that apparently Bob Hoskins uh, was actually suing Black Lion and Calendar Films to prevent the US TV release of this movie because they wanted to dub his voice by, uh, with David Dacker. Um, <laughs> and for those of you at home that don't know who David Dacker is, David Dacker was Kevin's dad in time bandits and a whole bunch of other like british tv but yeah they actually they wanted to dub bob hoskins with his voice to release it in the u.s that's nuts and i'm just going that's insane like you're not going to get the intensity you're not going to get that almost growl that he has in his voice Mm -hmm. you know when when he's really starting to fire up and it's just like that's again this is a point in time i suppose where you know they redubbed mad max with american actors um yep because apparently other people couldn't understand them Fucking ridiculous, but still. Um. Yeah, if, 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 if people don't sound generic uh, and not regional at all, then, you know, the movies just won't do well in America, which is the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard mm. in my entire life. I think it's, I, I think sometimes we are very quick to complain about dumb American audiences and we forget that a lot of studios. Um, mm. and distributors are the reason for that they're the ones who have systematically over time redubbed reshot changed edited to release for the American market based on a very small sample pool of people they do test screenings with which I think speaks more volumes about an, like the American film system than it does actually about the American audience so I think at times we and I like a good kind of fucking you know Americans bastards um, even the even, even the gangster in this movie the, the New Jersey gangster you know like who shows up here is like an, a nondescript accent it's not really a New Jersey accent I've watched Sopranos I know how they talk um, yeah, it's not like that at all <laughs> He's just, he's an American, and it's just it's just enough that you go, yeah, he's not English. He's definitely yeah. an American. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it's I, like, okay, yeah. It's, I think you know, like, it's that sort of. I don't know. There's a, there's a, a distinct choice there made for that. I'm very glad that Bob Hoskins did do that though, because to me, you, like you see, it's the it's the presence. Like like fifty percent of what Hoskins is doing on screen is all body language, right? And this is to let you once again. Not a dialogue-heavy movie. The other fifty percent is delivery. It's not even the words he's yeah. saying; it's the way he's delivering them. That body language and the intensity he brings to the script is what conveys the right. This guy is to be feared. This guy's menacing. This guy's charming. Whether he's winding, mm. dining, and schmoozing people at the start, or he's you know, out and out threatening Americans at the end, that you need Hoskins in there doing that voice. And any other version of that, it doesn't. Once again, it just does not work. It, 
it, it falls apart. It becomes flimsy. And I mean, the, the thing is, Bob Hoskins like, recently on like my show, um, we were doing like I do like a screening, a movie screening every Thursday night. Get some people over like online. I've got to stress we're still in lockdown. Um, yes. Get some people online, watch a movie and, and whatnot. And it was the it was the anniversary of Hoskins' death. And it's one. He's one of the few actors that I do mm. genuinely on his anniversary. I watch one of his movies because I I, I genuinely loved Bob Hoskins as an actor. And um, I watched. Uh, we, we sat and we watched uh, Shattered, which is this kind of almost TV movie esque early nineties kind of noirish kind of crime movie. It's absolutely brilliant. Hoskins is in it, and it's about the same time period as um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's a couple of years after. And so he's playing okay. an American... If you've never seen it, watch it. It's by the director of Das Boot and The Never Ending Story, because ah. that guy directed both those movies. <laughs> Obvs. <laughs> uh, of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. But he's, he's brilliant in it. It's, it's, it's actually... It's an, it's, an incre- it's a movie that has... A phenomenal end that makes the movie, but it's shocking the TV movie esque. Shattered, put on your list. Hoskins is in it. Hoskins is absolutely the best actor in this, and he's starring alongside Tom Berenger, like like established names. And he's he's not the biggest role in the movie, but he's the best actor in it, and he does his. Bob Hoskins kind of American kind of New York kind of style accent thing that he does and I'm listening to him do it and I'm like that you know this guy there's a reason he transcended over there and had a, a you know a really good career in the States there's a reason why he had a really strong career in the UK there's like that sometimes very much like Sean Connery like I was talking about him in the previous ones sometimes it, it doesn't matter if you can 100% nail an accent but if you're a really good actor audiences will just roll with it and Bob Hoskins is an incredible mm. actor if you can deliver either. deliver the emotion yeah. you can get away with anything yeah and he, he does it the, absolutely one, one of the one this movie in particular one of I mean The Longer Friday is I feel like we're just essentially like unanimously agreeing with what critics say but sometimes critics can be right it is, it is not only one of the best British movies of all time I think in the pantheon of kind of crime or gangster movies it was the reason that when we were talking about the untouchables and we we hinted at this <laughs> like it's like as soon as the kind of conversation was winding up I was like that to you you know we like you know what's a really good movie this and then the two of us were like yeah this is a this is a we, we need to like because I will never get a chance to talk about this movie on any other show that I do like ever and I love it dearly so yeah it's amazing I, I, I want to talk about something that is in this movie that I think some people would find uncomfortable, but I felt it was actually quite powerful and, and almost to the point of like, it was, you could almost see just how, how just shattered he was. And that's Bob Hoskins in the shower. <laughs> well, you did say that the, the UK like is grim cinema, so. <laughs> That, that that is true but he you know he, he's in there the water's running on his face and you know the the level you know they're outside burning his clothes because they're covered in jeff's blood um and fucking jeff um yeah. you know he's in the shower washing it off and but you know the the range of emotion that he goes through just standing in the shower mm-hmm. fortunately uh, unlike harvey Keitel, we don't have to see his penis um and yeah but getting away from that, um, the, the intensity of that delivery is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the weird thing about Jeff, like, Jeff as an actor is very well known in the UK. If 
you watch soap operas. <laughs> like, uh, oh, Derek, okay. Derek, Derek Thompson is, was, uh, I don't know if he still is, and I don't even know if the show still exists anymore, but long-standing TV doctor in the show Casualty, which had about fucking a million series. It was basically... It's like, like they run for like 300 years or something. It's like Coronation Street. Yeah, but it all set in a hospital. Essentially, yeah. that's... That, that's it was, it, it was Neighbours set in a hospital. Um, and he was the, he's the main actor there. And, you know, he's a, a fairly beige sort of, you know, performer in that. And he's brilliant in this. And the, 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 the kind of pain on Hoskins' face is he realises that, I mean, not his best friend per se, but the guy he entrusts everything to, his right-hand man, he's number two, mm. um, you know, is, is just as fucked him over and he can't quite see that's i think that's the thing in in Austin's face is he can't quite see why he thinks like jeff as a character anyway he can't quite see why what he's done ha- would mess everything you know mess everything up and would have ruined things doesn't understand the pressure because hoskins has it on his shoulders and i i love that because there is like you're talking about the the shower scene and we need it and like the kind of anguish the, the the bad day that he's had and all the rest but there's also that idea of he's just had to murder one of his and you can you, this has probably been a long-standing relationship they probably come up yep. together and he's just had to murder this guy because this guy did it for like a, what is not not a, a big sum of money considering this development deal was going to bring in multi-millions um, mm. if he just waited off uh, if, you know he would have had that money and it's like kind of but it's, once again it's what Harold does short term gain uh, and profit over the detriment of long term strategy um, and it's brilliant but that, that I I don't particularly like to see Bob Hoskins in the shower. I will be honest. No. I'll put my cards on the table on that one. Uh, it's a vagina. Not on my list. I yeah, I don't need it. Uh, but at those times, though, like that scene is just as powerful as him sitting in a bar, like having a couple of stiff drinks, just like kind of sitting in a, a stunned silence as well. It conveys a point. Um, it does make me think of <laughs> I, it caused my brains a bit fucked um, it, it does make me think of that, uh, uh, and, uh, everything gets likened back to friends I apologise uh, Joey in the shower where he's trying to be Charlton Heston is it, no it's, is it, it's Charlton Heston's stunt double or something He's no it's Al Pacino's butt he's playing Al Pacino's mm. butt and he's, he's, he's angry ass keeps clenching um, and uh, like but there, there, uh, there is on like on levels of like any other movie it would be a woman in the shower that part of me kind of feels like and it humanises him it humanises a, ga- a character who yes. for all intents purposes throughout this movie is not really humanised all that much but when it does it works really really well and it's the duality and the juxtaposition of the the gangster who is the hard man who d- deals in you know death uh, you know a swipe of a hand but at the same time is willing to do absolutely everything he needs to in order to make sure that his plans succeed, including murdering his best friend. So, <laughs> that's fucking great. Yeah, and it, like, that's probably, it's one of the few scenes where you actually see any blood. You know, he smashes a bottle and, like, gashes his, his neck open quite savagely. You know, it, you know it, a, a bit of can your mother sew, and just, like... <laughs> that, and it, but it, it's so... Oh, it's just amazing, that, that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you're supposed to say? Smash the bottle? Can your mother say? Yeah. I, I don't mean... I, um, I, that's I, how we do it, I, apparently. I'm so. going gonna, gonna <laughs> to say, yeah. Why not? Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. 
Oh, look, we we've talked so much about this movie, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna just throw it all out and say, you know, really, this was a lot to happen realistically for five grand, because that's what it got mm. down to is that Colin, his like lifelong friend, stole five grand from the IRA, and then they somehow got caught and got killed, and because the councilman didn't want his Irish workers to unionize. Yep. So what was the unions? All those things are completely out of out of out of Harold's. It's freaking unions. All but all out of Harold's control. Like he had nothing to do with any of it, and he has to wear that shit. And it's just oh, so good, so so good. Yeah. So what I was going to say is, what's your favourite scene out of this whole movie? Um, my favourite scene is, and we've spoken about it already, it's the ending. I think the ending is like you travel about a million miles in the brain of Bob Hoskins in what is ostensibly a three minute car journey scene at the very end. Maybe not even as long as that. And you get the full thing, uh, the score, the way it's shot. Like you were saying, the camera kind of jumping between the, the guy who knows... Uh, the inevitability of the situation he's in and try to work out where it all went wrong and then the guy at the front that doesn't have anywhere near the depth of that he's only there for one job and that's to to uh, get this guy out of the out of the place somewhere so that he can be viciously tortured and murdered so um, yeah the ending to this movie is by far one of the best just single like scenes in my opinion in cinema history I would 100% agree with that. Although I, I, I do hark back to Jeff's death. I actually really like the way he just fucking turns on the dime and absolutely brutally kills him. I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic. That's quite cool. So both agree. Leader of the pack has to be Bob Hoskins because he's fantastic. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's the, he is the MVP of this movie several times over. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. So that brings us to the end of this show. And so before you go, would you like to politely remind folks where they can see your fabulous work? Uh, yeah, check me out on podcasts under the stairs. It's not gangster related. We've already got one podcast and it's pretty fucking amazing already for that. Uh, the one that we're currently on right now. Uh, I do horror movies. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in horror movies and you kind of liked my critique of this movie, check out podcasts under the stairs. You can do it by going to tputzcast.com or search podcasts under the stairs in any podcatching device and we will pop up. He's selling himself a little short, ladies and gentlemen. Duncan talks about all stuff, all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, you've got your how to uh, get into, what is it? What should I watch first? Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, where, yeah, where to begin with Jallo is a, a kind of new thing that I've started up because I constantly have people saying to me, because I love that subgenre of of uh, mm-hmm. cinema I'm constantly getting people saying I really want to like it but I started off by watching like The House with the Laughing Windows and I'm like that is not a starting point that is like <laughs> and for advanced users only you don't just go wandering into that fucking movie so yeah I, I've devised a, te- a 10 part series this year which will take you through the the obvious choices and as the series goes on we're going to slowly expand it out so eventually you'll be able to sit down and watch The House with the Laughing Windows so. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I think you should uh, start with what is um, Blood and Black Lace. I always think that's the start of movie for Joe. Yep, it's, it was 
was it was movie number two on my list uh, behind mm-hmm. uh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage. Um, but yeah, both those movies. You love that are, movie so much. You it, well, love so, Bird with a Crystal Plumage <laughs> so much. It's it's the movie. It's the like Blood and Black Lace sets out the template of what a Jalo should be, right? And it's it's like it's like when Blair Witch comes out. Blair Witch sets out the template of what film footage should, should be. But the movie that everyone copies is Paranormal uh, Activity, which comes out like a decade later. Bird with a Crystal Plumage is the movie that was the international success. So it's the one that basically kicks off a, like a four-year run of Jalos, and there's about 150 movies made in those four years, which are all basically variations on a theme. So yeah, there, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I stand corrected. <laughs> That's no both of them amazing, but yeah, I do anything with uh, you. Give me an Argento movie, and I am I am rigid. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to touch that as much as I want to. Um, <laughs> coming up on the next episode in two weeks' time, we will stay with the theme of British gangsters, and we are looking at the 1998 Guy Ritchie entry into the genre, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Speaking of Jason Statham, um, <laughs> although really not Jason Statham as today's Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah. early Jason. Very, yes. very and early. This, oddly enough, that movie has raises from this movie as Hatchet Harry. <laughs> it does, actually. <laughs> Look at that. It's, it's, it's like I know what I'm doing, ladies and gentlemen. Like a fucking professional. Um... <laughs> So be a good fella and leave a rating or review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show and make sure you share it with the rest of your gang on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as GOHpod and at www.gohpod.com. Most of all, make sure you say hello to your little friend for me. I'm glad I found out in time just what a partnership and a pair of wankers like you would have been. <laughs>